0: Welcome to Back from the Abyss, I'm Dr. Craig Heacock. Today we hear the conclusion of Saj's journey to heal his early childhood neglect and broken attachment. If you haven't yet listened to part one, stop right here and do so, otherwise you will be stepping right into the middle of a very complicated story. In part one, Saj detailed his years of psychological work, including psychotherapy, somatic or body centered therapies, cannabis and ketamine assisted therapy, and finally MDMA. Part one ended with Saj describing his MDMA experience, and part two continues with Saj exploring this pivotal MDMA session. Then moves on to his deepest and most difficult work of all—a high-dose psilocybin session at a treatment center in the Netherlands.
1: I didn't realize even then that my childhood was so different from uh, other people's childhood. Since I, since then, I have. Mm -hmm. Since then. You know, when I, we'll talk about this later, but I've been in Amsterdam doing some work there and doing ceremony work there, and the other people that I talked to would say something like, "Oh yeah, I know this place. This reminds me of my childhood," and I would look at them. And I was like, "This doesn't remind me of anything." Mm. Yeah, you know? and so it's just like, even now, like, yeah, yeah.
0: You know. In that, in that sounds so beautiful. In that first session, MDMA session, do you remember the therapist playing much of a key role? or was it really the, the medicine in your inner work and, and they were holding the space for you?
1: No. the the At different points, they played different roles, right? Uh, at some point, it was much more internally focused than this what was happening there. And then at other times, it was incredibly relational. Like, I could tell you, I could... Mm, My sense of where they were in their room, I was tracking their breathing. I was tracking what I thought, what I knew was their internal states, what I thought their belief systems were about me, um, how they felt about me. So, you know, all of these, whether that was accurate or not, I don't know. But it felt like uh, my empathy radar was on very high. (laughs) Did
0: you have a male-female therapist? I did, yeah. Did you, in that first session, did you have any maternal transference with with the female therapist
1: i think not in the Mm -hmm. first session only because it was just even having that possibility of opening up a mom thing was just even too deep for Mm -hmm. for for that first session Mm -hmm. um yeah so it just it went to a lot of places but it didn't it didn't go there Mm -hmm. i would say if there is one big contribution one big piece to take away from i think all of the experience that, I, that i've had with this path it would be that the body is essential to healing it is an essential ally in processing whether you're doing that without the aid of psychedelic medicines but particularly with the aid of psychedelic medicines you you know i'll, I'll put it this way that you know the the tip of the iceberg, cognitive, rational consciousness that most of us in the Western world think that we are, right? We identify as our thoughts, our stories, our belief systems. That is not nearly the the entire picture. There is this profound piece of the iceberg, 90% of the iceberg floating underneath the surface of the water that we cannot see, that we have little bits of access to in dreams, and when the revelations and the programming from that start to really emerge the surface that you can feel and engage with, if all you're working with is that tip of the iceberg consciousness and cognitive understanding to try and deal with that, I think that gets, the circuits get blown on that part of our brains very quickly. Uh, it, I guess what what I'm saying here is that I have never known anybody to talk their way out of anxiety or talk their way out of depression or panic attacks. I think you can, you know, manage those things with some kind of cognitive understanding. But I've only seen people feel their way through anxiety and panic and depression. Um, Mm -hmm. And so the body is essential for me in that. I think, uh, you know, that the body is where, we're holding that kind of reactivity, and I think the body is the the pathway to ultimately process it. I think the body is so much more efficient at processing those types of experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, you know we saw this with MDMA and we see it uh, with cannabis and ketamine that you know people can talk their way through a psychedelic psychotherapy session. I think they're not receiving the majority of the benefit of that. Of that path Mm -hmm. if if they if they don't have sort of a a solid pathway for the body to to engage with
0: Mm -hmm. tell me about your decision to go to the netherlands and to do psilocybin work and how you your treatment journey reached that point and and what happened there?
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I'll say it didn't start out as being part of my treatment journey. <laughs> it started out as being, you know, a sense that, okay, you know, the uh, psilocybin is starting to be really looked at here, and there's some decriminalization efforts. So, you know, us already working with psychedelics, we want to know a little bit more about this medicine, and the only way we could do that— uh, not being part of an, uh, an FDA trial in the US is to go someplace and work with it where it's completely legal. So um, I set up shop in Amsterdam for two and a half months. Uh, and we had people fly from the US uh, to go there and receive treatments. And I interviewed other clinicians there that were working with psilocybin. Uh, so that's how it started, right? It was really just sort of a pilot program to see. Sure, so what you weren't even
0: happened. necessarily thinking that you were going to go do trauma work there? No.
1: You personally, no. I wasn't, okay. yeah. I, I thought like, oh, no, I'm feeling pretty good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, it didn't start out that way. Um, and we did find out some really interesting things about it. Um, yeah, what did a- you discover? Well, um, I will say that psilocybin is an incredible medicine, and but it is also an, an advanced medicine. So we had a number of people that... Um, had a complete non-response to the psilocybin regardless of the dose that they took. I mean, we had people take, you know, what the, a moderate dose all the way up to very high doses and they had a complete non-response.
0: And you mean they didn't feel the effect of the drug?
1: Yeah. Wow. Um what it would do is give them images of flowers, of water, of rivers, of uh psychedelic distortions, a little bit of color maybe or something like that, but but nothing that kind of tied into their core structure. Nothing that like was meaningful in any real way. It was just kind of like a pleasant show, mm-hmm. you know that kind of thing. And and then and this had, wasn't
0: dissociative opioid blockade.
1: No, I think it was. I think, was. I think that's what mm-hmm. exactly was going on with it. Um I think that you know, from that experience, and then and then interviewing a number of clinicians there, and also talking to the main psychologists at um, at Imperial College that they're running the psyc the psilocybin trials in the UK. I think we're finding very similar things, which is that if people have a foundation of health, a foundation of ego integrity. And, uh, you know, if their nervous system is not loaded up with dissociation, I think psilocybin can really go to work with them. But if they're coming to the table with that as their structure, I think that's the person that psilocybin is just going to pass over completely without doing much of anything. So a a quick story here. Mm -hmm. So, you know, between psilocybin doses, you need to give at least a, a few days, right? And so we gave the people, especially the people that had a non-response to psilocybin, we gave them the opportunity to do cannabis-assisted therapy. And what we find is found is exactly what we were talking about before, that the cannabis digs in and it uh, cracks dissociation uh, in a very great way. And so we had people who, you know, chose to not go back to psilocybin they just continued to stay with the cannabis work even in the netherlands right so i mean just get Mm. that these are people Mm -hmm. that went through the time and expense and effort to fly to europe to do these psilocybin sessions and they ended up staying with the cannabis work simply because i think the cannabis therapy met them where they were versus the psilocybin therapy was was a a little too advanced for what they were going to Mm. what they were capable of Mm -hmm. i think uh I think the the psilocybin, um, the potential of psilocybin is far more profound, but uh, it needs a solid foundation to work on.
0: Mm -hmm. And by that, I mean a solid foundation of sort of ego strength, Mm -hmm. attachment health lack of dissociation uh
1: i think you don't need attachment health i think uh ego strength lack of dissociation Mm -hmm. um what i would call uh, a person's level one foundational work needs to be in place yeah uh and then if it is then i think you know psilocybin will do its thing yeah
0: and that seems such an important point because if psilocybin is going to come online medically as it seems like it is some of the most treatment resistant people are going to seek it out and surprise surprise big percentage of them have trauma with dissociation and as you're seeing they may get little to no benefit from it yeah because it's they're not they haven't done the early scaffolding work uh whether somatic work with or without other psychedelics Mm -hmm. yeah exactly i think that's true
1: um, and that's not to say that psilocybin wouldn't be very useful for them in the future. I'm just saying, like, I think what we're seeing is a, a stepwise fa- uh, progression where there are a le- sort of a level one introductory psychedelics, something like uh, 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 MDMA, cannabis, ketamine, that can really help you get your foundation in place. And then there's a level two psychedelics mm. like like psilocybin. So one other way I would characterize the difference there is that, you know, MDMA works with the events in your life. Cannabis works with the events in your life. Um, where Versus psilocybin works with the fabric of reality that mm. got created based on those events. It works with your very identity that got created in response to those events. So I think... The, the pr- deepest thing there is. The deepest thing there you, is, right. The you and you. The you and you gets really worked and i would say challenged with psilocybin versus mdma and cannabis never challenged the fundamental you that's there
0: do you think that's what ayahuasca is doing too i think so yeah again that deeper who are yeah Yeah. the the pathways that make you Mm -hmm. who you are yeah versus right versus your experiences oh i went through a rape or a trauma or i was neglected or the mdma might target those so well but Mm -hmm. yeah the fabric of you is more is a deeper kind of psychedelic. Yeah,
1: thing. it's a deeper programming. Mm-hmm. Right, it's a much more core level of programming.
0: Um, it sounds like it, that could be scary. <laughs> it
1: is scary. I mean,
0: because
1: <laughs> it's—I wouldn't take it lightly. <laughs> yeah, because when you <laughs> uh, when
0: you say psilocybin is an advanced medicine, it sounds like that means a few things. Advanced in that it's probably something that would you would use later in the course of treatment. Yeah. and also it's advanced in that you better. Um, have the ego strength that the right person working with you the right setting and container and like it's it's serious stuff
1: yeah and also very much determined by those things that you just said like the right person the right container because you know this is sold mostly to um vacationing uh you know party seeking, for, you know, like, uh, uh, like people, you know, kids go to uh, Amsterdam and with with their friends and then have a weekend of psilocybin walking around the canals and everything like that. And so, you know, that's the recreational use of it. And obviously, like, none of its true, like, miraculous medicinal properties come out in that context. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's other contexts there. So I think there's, um, you know, the recreational context, the ceremonial context, uh, group Uh, uh, psilocybin. But I would say that if you are really looking to psilocybin for uh, mental health purposes, um, that A, again, the foundation needs to be in place, and then B, the context is really important. I don't think a group setting is at all appropriate for sort of the depth and Uh, focus that's needed to do really deep individual psychedelic work with psilocybin. Um, I'm not saying great things don't happen in groups, and certainly, like, wonderful things happen in ceremony, where, you know, you're having this transpersonal existential reconciliation with the universe, Mm -hmm. things like that, right? Very, very necessary, important things. But if you're going to go deep with your personal history and your symptoms and what's going on there, that really requires an, an individual focus.
0: Yeah, I wonder if do you have an opinion? I know this is being studied now, but it's you know, psilocybin for treatment-resistant depression. You know, I'm wondering if it's going to turn out if, in fact, it's effective. If it matters, if it's inner work, or if it could be, you know, outer work like in nature, you know, enjoying the beauty and wonder, and that there's just something uh, about the psilocybin molecule that's you know, activating serotonin two A or, or whatever that's has an antidepressant effect uh, versus I think what you're talking about more, which is like the deep psychological kind of personality, structural uh, attachment work that you might do. But I mean, do you have any sense of that?
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. I mean, I think the way that Johns Hopkins is looking at it and the way that like uh, Robin Carhart Harris in the UK is looking at it is that it really disrupts the default mode network. Right? and and I think that may just be a way of saying oh it's it's it maybe a different way of looking at the same thing right that you know people who are depressed have a very rigid default mode network and uh, and I think not just psilocybin but many psychedelics
0: would would disrupt that um I don't know I yeah. don't know the answer to that question yeah, that'll be interesting yeah because after that psilocybin special on 60 minutes last, week I've had a number of calls and texts like, hey, hey, Heacock, I want to do psilocybin. Can we do that next week? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. Mm, <laughs> mm, no. Not so much. No, not so much. <laughs> Could we hear about your? experience in, in the Netherlands? Sure,
1: yeah. Uh, this was a really big one for me. Uh, it was, so for the past, since 2011, my mom had been working with, um, dealing with endometrial cancer. Uh, and, you know, the survival, and she was in like really cutting edge clinical trials and things like that. And so, you know, the survival rates for that type of cancer is five years. Um, so my mom beat the, the the odds with that. But in um, the beginning part of 2019 um that's when i went to amsterdam for the for the pilot program there and then um uh my i was getting news from my mom and from home that like she was getting more ill she was had been to the er a couple of times and so she was saying i i think you need to come home you know and so i i did i we sort of Uh, shut things down a little bit early there and but knowing what i was going into likely um there were a couple of um i found two clinicians that i felt good about um that uh i asked if they would lead me through a psilocybin uh session and 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 you've never
0: done a guided one
1: Um, No, I had done, uh, uh, well, I had done my uh, my own while Mm -hmm. I was there a little bit, but Mm -hmm. it was just sort of like a relatively low dose, that kind of thing, Mm -hmm. right? Because I didn't feel like I had the right container for Mm -hmm. it, so I didn't want to go whole hog with it. Um, And so my system was prepped, right? So basically, I think, you know, this whole idea of psychedelics for the dying, but I think it's also psychedelics for people around those who are dying right Mm -hmm. and um because dying is an altered state of consciousness it's an incredible period of time in our life cycle and um for me every piece of childhood that was incomplete that was uh had question marks around it was coming to the surface around you know the potential of my mom's imminent death Mm -hmm. and um and so that was the my internal setting my internal context for what this session was going to be about right so so these two this uh they were a couple they showed up and uh interestingly enough she was clinically trained right and so she had all the education around around what's going on he was not clinically trained but he had a solid childhood. Okay? <laughs> so this is going to be a, a, an interesting
0: point. He, here. he got the better. <laughs> he he got the better duck.
1: He got the better duck. I would yeah. I would take the better the solid yeah. childhood over the clinical training mm. any day. <laughs> Baby A. Yeah. <laughs> um and so uh so we went in, right? And, you know, initially and this was a full dose session, and so they use psychedelic truffles in the in the Netherlands. And so You know, it was probably equivalent to like a four gram dose of dried mushrooms. Um, and so, yeah, pretty solid dose. And so, uh, my system was going in, I was like recognizing it, I was feeling the anxiety in my body and letting it through. And the entire time, I was watching. I, I was looking at that and then behind that something big was rising up that i hadn't noticed at all and then i was realizing like oh no this is this is the psilocybin coming on and all of a sudden i ripped off my my eye shades and i was terrified and i was and i the uh the sitters i was like i want this to end i want this to end i need this to end and it was I was shaking and my, like my eyes were shaking and I I just realized like, this is not going to, okay. That rocket's already taken off. That rocket's taken off. Yeah. And so, um, so I put my eyeshades back on. I was like, okay, okay, let's, let's do this. Right. And so
0: initially. And they're both with you.
1: They're both with me. Mm -hmm. They're both with me. Yeah. And they, um, and so. Should I just tell you that walk you through the story? Yeah, please do. Okay. Yeah, Yeah. edit as you see fit. Um, So initially, it took me to this like staging area, right, where it was just like it was funny because I've been taking the public transportation in Amsterdam all all this time, and I loved it. Mm -hmm. And so it just took me to the public transit station. Just like, are you going to get on this train, or are you not going to get on this train? And so I was like, okay, well, this is something, I guess, you know. But I was expecting more.
0: if you take six gram equivalent you get a private jet yeah
1: I know I had to yeah I had to do the public chance on four
0: (laughs) (laughs) and so um
1: uh and then so at some point and you know so more going in more going in and then it really did turn on right so initially what I saw was pretty transpersonal right so I'm working with this idea of like death of a very person that I love and and in space in the darkness of space I saw this infinity symbol like a giant figure eight like spanning galaxies just sitting there and like half of it was cloaked in shadow and the other half was in light and the half that was in light there was all these beings on there that were lit up and I could see them sort of moving this course around this figure eight and they were moving into life through life and then into death and then through death and then back into life right so Mm -hmm. this kind of thing it just like showed me I okay that's something that I saw right Mm -hmm. and I was like oh okay (laughs) (laughs) that's interesting and then uh so basically then i don't i'm sure there's details i'm not remembering but then i remember moving to sort of an animal incarnation piece where i could just in my mind's eye i was just cycling through all sorts of different life forms insect life forms uh plant life um uh all sorts of just very quick flashes of like different faces and teeth and you know ways of eating and all all sorts of life processes happening and um and I told that to my uh to my sitters and they're like, Oh yeah, you're t- you're tapped into the to the DNA stream. <laughs> like, All right, I'll go with it. It's kind of a, it's sort of a union thing. <laughs> a union thing, right. Yeah. <laughs> but they norm, but whatever it was, they they completely normalized it. And mm-hmm. I was like, okay, so this is interesting. And then I found myself, um, not just from a, a, a observer position, but actually finding myself like uh like becoming, feeling like I'm becoming different types of life forms, right? And like my body, like it's like sprouting wings and things like that. And, uh, and, you know, so I'm going into this terrified, upset at what's happening with my mom, all of this stuff. And at one point, so I noticed that the the music is incredible here. The music with psilocybin is sets the stage for everything, right? And so we had a particular set of music's going music going on that where the sort of the bright light type of of music would send me into the bright light and it wouldn't tell my mind what precisely to come up with. It would just be something in the ballpark of that of that light and the goodness. And uh and i could I heard the medicine ask me, "Well, do you want wings?" <laughs> and I was like, "Yes, <laughs> how would you not want wings?" I was like, "Oh my God, like this is what it's like, <laughs> You know, wow, it was like a yeah yeah there's there's nothing it was like I'll just say, mm-hmm. um so that was fantastic right and then the and then the music shifts right, and then it goes to uh, dark tones, the deeper tones, right? And I'm telling you, Craig, like, again, it's not going to tell you what comes up in the darkness. It just turns you towards the darkness, right? And um, so at some point, I'll, I'll just get to sort of the core of what I do remember here, which was that, I could feel my own personal incarnation. I could feel myself being born. I could feel myself, like, all these memories of, like, physical memories, body memories of, like, shaking and shuddering and being born in that whole entire process. And one of the things that I clearly remembered about that was an entire world that was just couldn't give a shit that I was there. You know, just didn't care at all that I showed up here. Right? And... And I was just like noticing this, like, um, there's a way in which sort of psychedelic medicines, classic psychedelic tryptamines like psilocybin turns experiences that we've had into image or turns it into a metaphor that you can then feel and relate to. So I was just feeling this sort of this damaged love that was between me and my mom. And that since then there was not going to be room or possibility for anything else until this thing was healed right mm. and so you know uh yeah the first side of it that I saw that I'd already known about was that oh okay I wasn't loved and this is what it really feels like this is how much that actually hurts right and my body would go through my body could really engage with this and go through these, these big shudders and shakes and convulsions and things like that and um and <laughs> the relationship here was so important. This is where I think it goes well beyond just what we classically think of as sitting for a, a, a client going into a psychedelic therapy session. The You know, like most of the time people will put on eye shades and put on headphones and then they're having their internal experience. This is such a profoundly relational wound that these two people i were working with had to be really deeply involved i pulled them into it Mm. right and and so
0: both both physically involved with you were you talking to them too
1: i was talking to them Mm -hmm. interacting with them and Mm. then very physically involved right so there was no you could not stay out of the muck if you were in that room with Mm.
0: me Mm. (laughs) and so um these were not Craigslist sitters for minimum wage these were people that knew yeah what they were doing yeah, they, yeah yeah
1: they were doing this and they I felt really good about them so um Kuhn the the male therapist there um you know he, he was basically wrapped around me. It was like he, it was me. I was curled into this fetal position and his body was kind of curled around me. And I had him, I put him there. I positioned him. I was like, Mm -hmm. I I need this around me, that kind of thing. Right. And when my body would go into these convulsions around processing, not love. (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. And he, he, he was the container. His system was the container holding, oops, holding that in place. Um, if he wasn't that container, I don't know how this would have gone.
0: Right? Mm. And now the flip side, because he was both the emotional and the physical container. Yeah, for, yeah,
1: yeah. And he worked. He mm. he worked his ass off in that session. He, like, I could, you know, so these waves would of pro- these processing waves would come up in my body like periodically. They weren't there constantly. And so when they would come up and we could tell like, here, com- here comes this piece, right? And then I could feel his body preparing to to be the container to receive that kind of, like hold somebody that's going through that much charge, right? So it was it was a godsend, right? Now the flip side was Patricia who in Patricia's clinically trained, uh, Kuhn was not, mm-hmm. right? But I think Kuhn had that solid baby a childhood (laughs) and his his system just sort of knew what to do and my system had enough of that uh, foundational healing ego integrity piece that i could it wasn't just random firings of things it it all kind of was coherent and made sense to me so i could tell him this is what is needed here this is what's happening right that kind of thing Mm -hmm. and he could respond to that very well i think patricia to this day i don't know if patricia had a profound Wounding in her childhood, or if this was a um, a purposeful clinical intervention, but so I would say, oh, okay, so this is enough of the masculine, and now this is dad, right? Mm. And now I'm gonna go over to mom, right? And she couldn't do it; like mm. she could not be that container. She couldn't. I couldn't wrap her around me. I couldn't get her to sort of hold this process. Mm. And and again, I don't know if that was on purpose. Wonder if she's a mother. I don't think she's a mom. Mm. I don't think she's a mom. And, mm. but again, I don't know if that was a purposeful thing or if that was like a uh, like a purposeful intervention or if that was I was just hitting. Sort that of would a, seem a, a kind block. of
0: sadistically purposeful. I mean, well,
1: but yeah, but it was oh, so incredibly useful. I mean, it allowed me to feel this wound oh, I so acutely. Mm, mm. <laughs> it was like, oh, this is not being met here. <laughs> oh God, this hurts. You know, and so. Oh. <laughs> And so uh but so I had both I had the real okay this the masculine is holding and the feminine can't right mm-hmm. so um so it was a it ended up being a fantastic container for for this process and uh but then the the thing that sort of turned on at one point that I really didn't expect was the reverse, which is that, you know, we all know that, you know, children need love from their parents. What I didn't realize in my system was how much of a need it is for children to be able to love their parents, mm-hmm. for children to be able to express love. And I felt, I finally saw that and felt that both sides of that were broken in my mm-hmm. system, right? So, mm-hmm. and the way that it manifested was just like this, this vision the seeing and feeling of this iceberg emanating from my chest like just cold cold frozen love right? right and and it was going nowhere and it hurt like hell for that to be there and of course you know more body convulsions more you know once it showed up through this subconscious arising mm-hmm. through this medicine then my my body knew what to do with it my body could engage it it could handle
0: it it could this had never come up in the MDMA work. Never. It, it, it was to, way too deep. It was too deep yeah. to get to this cold yeah. iceberg. Nothing ever yeah. touched the
1: mm-hmm. the iceberg. It was mm-hmm. just such a, a like a deeply profound protected wound, mm-hmm. right? And I also think that if I wasn't working with these people, that that wouldn't have come up either, mm-hmm. right? So,
0: yeah. So, yeah. Um, did you get to process? I don't mean to skip that. Yeah, just no, like, did you get to process with her? afterwards your experience of her not giving yeah
1: i did yeah and i and i said i don't want to know the answer to this question but this Mm -hmm. is what it felt like you know but um but something that did like also cropped up after all of these pieces were had gone through the medicine went back and then said okay let's let's redo so many of these pieces in childhood let's like literally like Craig, I couldn't. I cannot describe to you like how much it looked like it was like. It wasn't me as with a you know a forty-seven-year-old's adult conscious mind going back and, um. And imagining what it was like to be a child, or imagining what it was like to be a baby or an infant. Right, it was going back and looking through those eyes that you know, this is what the world felt like for the first time. This Mm. is what touching another human hand felt like for the first time. This is what, like Kuhn's hand, I was just gripped onto him, right? And I was just, like, made contact with the back of his hand. I was just kissing Mm. the back of his hand. And I was just like, oh, my God, this is like, this is the world. This is life. And it's here. I, I felt like I was becoming more and more sensitive to the existence of life. And so it... It was just replaying all of this in ways that I could actually feel at this time in a corrective way, as opposed to already having gone into that dissociative, numb, protective place, mm-hmm. and then there's there's no life to be felt there at mm-hmm. all, Mm-mm. right? So, but I mean, it was it was miraculous. It was, uh, yeah. Wow.
0: And how did that change then the final, not just the final days with your mom, but also grieving her death? Oh, my God. Yeah, so that's a whole other (laughs) part of the story, which was,
1: yeah, very powerful experience. And then, uh, you know, going through so much. And then I show up in Maryland, and I'm there for the last two months of my mom's life. And um, one thing that it did was it, uh, there was... I was not dissociating when I was with her at all. Could I, could you love her? I could love her. I could love every piece of this person. And my goal, not just like a top-down goal, but a real, like a rising, this is in my bones, is I'm going to send this person out with as much love as I possibly can. Mm. Right? Like hold every piece of her experience. Hold every piece of her fear that's coming up as she's doing this. And there's no way I could have done that if this process hadn't happened beforehand. Yeah. I wonder right. if she could feel it.
0: I, I, hope, I hope she could. I
1: think she could. Yeah. I think she could. And yeah. it was hard for me to feel that she could feel it. Yeah. But, you know, yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, there's times that where she said things, I mean, things that she'd never said in her life, things that she'd never allowed in her life, because, mm-hmm. you know, she had that same love wound early on, but without the benefit of, like, really, like, sophisticated therapy or, or psychedelic work, you know, so her system just went through its entire life without being able to love or express love very well, except to pets, <laughs> she had that too. which, by the way, now I have her, her geriatric cat. <laughs> who i who i love
0: (laughs) yeah but i mean some of the most deeply wounded traumatized people i work with have a profound connection to animals yeah um and what about now in the in the grieving period given all the work that you've done and and you know extracting cracking over this iceberg yeah um what's that been like these last few months
1: well, it's it's still been really intense, you know, um, even though I was probably associated and not dissociated for the vast majority of the time I was with my mom, there were still parts of it that were really, really hard and really big and unbearable. And, you know, you just cannot bear to see somebody that you love going through this. Um, that, you know, so since then, I have gone into some level of dissociation, I think just around those events, not around childhood, but... Around these adult events so I feel like yeah I I need uh, I need another session (laughs) (laughs) but I am uh, but no it was intense it was like a lot of sort of inward isolation uh not being able to feel uh, a lot of numbing out um and I feel like I've been coming out of it pretty naturally it's probably been like five six months now um but yeah I think you know Going to Amsterdam
0: for another psilocybin session would be really useful at yeah. this point. I just want to yeah. share one thing with listeners: is I've really only known you in in these latest stages, last few years of healing. But you have a lot of love. There's so there's so much love in you, and um, yeah, it's it's been amazing to sit here with you. When I Thought about starting this podcast months ago. I thought I have to have Saj on. That will be the best. So thank you so much for coming.
1: Yeah, you're welcome, Craig. Um, You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you. This
0: has been wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. We would love to hear what you like about Back from the Abyss, what you want to hear more of, maybe what you want to hear less of, which episodes have most spoken to you. So please go to our website, bftapodcast.com and send us a message with your feedback. And please rate us on iTunes right now. This will take less than a minute and help us spread these stories far and wide.